Well, if you have your Bibles with you, you can turn to Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse 10. Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse 10. I have confidence in the Lord that you'll take no other view, that the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish that those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. Let's pray. Uh, Father, as we pour over these words given to the Apostle Paul through your Spirit, God, I pray that we would hear the warning, that we would hear and see what it looks like to follow You by faith. Father, I pray that You would create faith in those who have none. And Father, I pray that You would sustain and grow faith in those who already have trusted in You, Lord. Father, our hope to preserve To be preserved in faith comes only through your power. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So today's message is part two off last week. Persevere or be judged. What is your hope? Only those who persevere in faith to the end will be saved. What's your hope? What's your hope of persevering? That's what we looked at last week. I want you to start out this morning by considering what motivates anything that you do. From the smallest task to the greatest task, we do all that we do Because we see some sort of light at the end of the tunnel. Think about it. Why do you work? Some of you work because there's a paycheck coming. Because it's good to provide for your family. Because it's good to have clean clothes. You're motivated to action because there's light at the end of the tunnel. Why do you go on vacation? Because you hope that vacation provides some payback. Why does a builder build? Would a builder build if he just began building and there was never an end in sight? That builder would lose hope. Imagine it. The thing... The reason why we persevere in anything is because we see an end coming. And that that end offers some sort of light, some sort of good ending. You might say, well, what about someone who's despairing 
to the point where they're considering suicide. What about that person? What motivates that person? What motivates suicide? The lie that killing yourself is actually going to bring light at the end of the tunnel. Same thing. Well, the Christian life is no different. Paul could sum up this whole letter and say, Christians, live by faith in the Son of God who loved you and gave Himself for you. Live right now by faith in the Son of God who loved you and died for you and provides all these promises, all this light at the end of the tunnel. That's how you live life. You see, here's what I know. Everyone in here lives inside a fallen world. So you come in with burdens. You come in with struggles. You come in with relational problems, physical problems, spiritual sin, heart issues. I might not know the specifics of what you come in here with, but I do know how God has called you to live in a fallen world until He comes. And it's by faith. It's by faith, not that it's going to get easier here, because it might not. It might get worse. Your darkest day might get darker. So what do you do? How are you going to live in light of that? We have temptation as Christians to walk away from Christ because following Christ means carrying a cross. There is an easier way to get through this life, to avoid struggles that you wouldn't have to deal with if you weren't a Christ follower. In fact, the disciples wanted to follow Christ without the cross. They didn't want their Savior to die and they didn't want to hear from Him that they too were to walk in the same footsteps as their Lord. The Galatians started out well. They were running well. They were trusting in Christ, walking by faith, but really quickly it became unpopular to be a Christian, to be a Christ follower. In fact, the religious leaders of their day rejected Christ. The great majority of them did. And there were some who said they followed Christ, but yet they changed His teaching. They called themselves Christ followers, yet they said trusting in Christ isn't enough to become a child of God, to be Abraham's children, to get to heaven. What you need to do is follow the law of Moses. You need to be circumcised if you really want to get in. Now, if you live in Galatia, it's not cool anymore to be a Christian. Oh, you're following that Paul guy who's not even here, who's unimpressive, who seems like he's a small, not good-looking, not even eloquent with words. You're following that rogue teacher? 
See, to be a Christian at the time the Galatians received this letter meant that there would be a temptation to walk an easier road, to follow a different gospel. And yet, even though they were running well and now had stopped running well, we looked at last week that Paul was confident. Look at the beginning of verse 10. I have confidence in the Lord that you'll take no other view. Why was Paul confident that these believers would listen to his letter and not follow the Judaizers? And we looked at all sorts of texts. Paul's theology was this. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. So for Paul, a person's faith wasn't generated in and of himself apart from God, but rather a person's faith was a result of the grace of God working in their hearts. And if God birthed out a spiritual baby that began to believe, God has no SIDS deaths. Spiritual SID babies that pass away for some reason. If you're truly born of God, you will continue in the faith till the end. Yes, your faith will be struggling. Yes, it'll be a fight. But you will go to your death clinging to Christ as your hope. How does Paul know this? Because he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. If only those who persevere to the end are saved, what's your hope? Your hope is in a God who is faithful to complete the work that He began. That's what we looked at last week. And this week, we're going to look at the second half of verse 10 where he says, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. How does God keep us? How does God keep his children? He doesn't zap like faith dust on us, where he just says, there, it's going to work. Just automatically going to go to the end. Just this uh, zap that I give you, and you remain faithful to the end. God uses the means of warning for leaving. God warns Christians, if you walk away from Christ and from grace, you will surely perish. That's how He keeps His children, with warnings. How do I keep my children alive? Yesterday... I was walking across the street to go get the neighbor's dog that were dog sitting. And my little two-year-old ran full bore out into the street without looking either direction. No cars were coming. I could see no cars were coming. How is she going to remain alive? Eden, come here. Come back here. If you do that again and a car's coming, you're dead like that squirrel over there. You die. The way we keep our children alive is we warn them. God does the same thing for His children. Those who are truly His hear the warnings of Scripture 
and they heed them and they come back to the God of grace and they realize they're weak once again and they live by faith in God who gives them the power to persevere to the end. The one who is troubling you will bear the penalty. Here's what Paul's saying. Consider those Judaizers who look so nice and are so eloquent. He says they will be judged. Right now, the cool thing is to listen to the Judaizers. They probably have more money. They got fancier robes and they have bigger crowds. But they're going to bear the penalty of their false teaching for teaching God's people to leave the grace of God. Paul knows that God's promise to Abraham in Genesis 12.3 will come true. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Here's what Paul knew. Anyone who sets themselves up against the grace of God and teaches any other gospel will be judged no matter how much money's coming in. A lot of these gospel distorters get rich off their distortions. They get fame. They get credibility from the people around them. They tell them what their itching ears want to hear. You want to know what sinful man wants to hear? You can do it. You know how humbling it is for a proud man to say, I'm helpless. I'm only preserved if God works by grace. The pride of man wants to hear, you can do it, just keep the law. But, as David read in this Hebrews chapter 10, we get a warning not to trample underfoot the grace of God, which is the temptation that is before this church. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Hebrews chapter 10. And if you look in your notes, you'll kind of see the different texts we're going to go to uh, if you want to keep up and follow along in your Bible. Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 29. The writer of Hebrews argues anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. This is a greater to lesser. The law of Moses is different than the new covenant blood of Christ. So he says... How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God, who has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he has been sanctified and has outright outraged the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Here's what he's saying. What is going to be the result of those who look at the gospel and say, nah, I'm not going with that. 
I'm going to add works. If you add works, you lose Christ. That's what Paul's been teaching all throughout. If you want to add one ounce to your salvation, you lose all of it. We are not saved by 99% God doing the work, 1% us doing the work. We are saved when we're spiritually dead and God 100% resurrects us to life by grace through the blood of Christ. That's how salvation works. What the writer of Hebrews is saying, what's gonna, what's in store for those who trample underfoot the grace of God and say, nah, it can't all be by grace. It has to be somewhat earned by me. And then he reminds them that God is an avenging God. Look at verse 32, but recall the former days. So here's what he says. He says, the writer of Hebrews is saying, all the Hebrews is a warning not to walk away from grace. You get these just drumbeat warnings all throughout Hebrews not to leave the grace of God in Christ. Christ is the great high priest. You don't need the other priest. All throughout, here's what he's doing. And here he gets there and he says, remember when you first got saved how you lived. Look at what he says. But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings. Sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Now there's faith. There's the Christian life right there. Remember, you were first saved, and for being a Christian, you suffered. And when your friends suffered over here, and they got put in prison for being Christians, and they were going to starve to death in prison, you visited them, you brought them food, and because you were bringing them food, you look over your shoulder and your house is burning down. And you received that with joy. How? Because they were looking forward to a light at the end of the tunnel. Look at, look at how he says this. Since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession than that house burning down and an abiding one, one that won't be able to be burned down. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has great reward, for when you, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. Now we should ask a question. What is doing the will of God, according to the writer of Hebrews? Because those, uh, you and I have need of endurance, so that when we've done the will of God, then we will receive the promise. If it's keep the law, we're in trouble. Because if you break the law at any point, you've broken the whole thing. What does he say? So that when you've done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. Yet for a little while, and the coming one will come and not delay. But my righteous one, the righteous get into heaven. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. Here's what he's saying. 
My righteous ones don't have any hope in and of themselves, but they live by faith in what Christ has done for them. And there's going to be a day where Jesus Christ breaks forth from the clouds. And there's going to be two sets of people. Those who see Him and say, oh, bleepity bleep bleep, here He comes. And there's going to be other ones that say, finally, finally, He has come. My salvation is reaching its climactic end now that Christ is here. The song we just sang, um, I'm drawing a blank on the last song we sang. It is well says this, the Lord will descend, the clouds will roll back, the Lord will descend, even so it is well with my soul. Even when God comes in all of His glory and He's coming to judge, in Christ we can say, it is well. Let the holy God in Christ come right to me. I'm not afraid of him. I'm not one of the ones under the cliff saying, have rocks fall on my head because I have confidence in the grace of God. So, Paul says, remember, the one who's doing this is going to be punished. Right now it's cool to be a Judaizer, but look ahead. Look ahead to your salvation and their judgment. We as Christians need to consider the warnings of God. Let me give you an example. 1 Thessalonians 4.2 For you know what instructions we've given you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God. Our ears should perk up. Your sanctification. This is God making us more like Christ progressively throughout our life. The will of God is your sanctification that you abstain from sexual immorality. That each one of you know how to control his body in holiness and honor. Not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. We got a hint there. Those who see God control their body. Those who don't see God are like animals that have to go instinctively go after every lust they feel. And then he says, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know, know God, that no one transgress or wrong his brother in this manner. Don't be a part of sexual immorality because it wrongs the bro your brothers. And then he says this, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things as we told you before, beforehand and solemnly warned you, God comes to judge the sexually immoral people. For God has not called us to impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man, but God, who gives His Holy Spirit to you. So, here's a warning in Jesus Christ saying, Live a life 
where you're fighting your sin, where you're being sanctified. Jesus said, cut off your arm or pluck out your eye or go to hell. Those who are saved, those who have the Holy Spirit in them, those who have a Father in heaven are under the discipline of the Lord throughout their life as God is sanctifying them more and more into the image of Christ. We as Christians need to hear and be reminded of the result of those who disregard the holy, the holy God of the Bible. So God's vengeance and judgment should not ca- or should cause us to run to grace, not over it, not over top of it, not trample underfoot the blood of Christ. If you know God's a holy God and He's going to judge sin, and you know you're a sinner, don't listen to the Judaizers that say, you can do it. Just follow me. You can make it. No, if you know God's a holy God and He's an avenger of those who sin, you better not run over, trample underfoot the grace of God, but you better come to Christ and say, you're my only hope. You're my only hope is grace in Christ. Those who are trusting in Christ know about God's holiness and wrath for sin and eagerly await the culmination of their salvation when Christ returns. The reason why we pray Christ return, Christ return at the end of our prayers, that's what a Christian should be praying, is because one of the reasons should be we're sick and tired of the sin we continually struggle with. And we want to see the completion of our salvation. One of the things God uses to keep us from distorting the gospel is to remind us that the wicked's apparent thriving will not last long. If you have your Bibles, turn to Psalm 73. This is one of my favorite psalms in the whole Bible. And I just want to read it. We're not going to spend a lot of time here, but I want you to see how the Christian life is lived. What I love about the Psalms is you get to see the real person who struggles in faith, but then endures. Psalm 73, starting verse 1. And and I'm just going to give you a heads up. At verse 17, everything changes in this psalm. And we want to look at why it changes. So, verse 1. Truly, God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled and my steps had nearly slipped. Well, what happened? Because you and I are in this boat way more than we think. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. Fat it was a good thing back then. They are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. For their pride is their necklace and violence covers them as, the, as a garment. Their eyes swell out through their fatness and their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and speak with malice loftily. 
they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heavens, and their tongue struts throughout through the earth. Therefore, his people turn back to them and find no fault in them. They say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked. Always at ease, they increase in riches. All in vain, the psalmist writes, I've kept my heart clean and washed my hands in ignorance, in innocence. Here's what he's saying. I live my whole life trying to honor the holy God, trying to trust in Him, and the wicked, they just flourish. They get fat. Nothing bad happens to them. Seems like the rain clouds sitting over my head all day long. Christian, this is how you'll walk away from the faith. You'll start looking at the world. You'll look at the cost of carrying your cross. And you'll say, does God even really see what's going on? Is God even real? Look it. If God was real, would seven-year-olds get raped? Would hurricanes wipe out nations? This is where this believer is who almost stumbled, almost slipped, but then look at what happened. But, our, our verse 15, if I had said... I will thus, I speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. How do I make light of a world like this? Until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I discerned their end. The psalmist all of a sudden saw the God of the Bible, and realized, oh, they're in big trouble. Look at verse 18. Truly, you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment and swept away by utter terrors like a dream when one awakes. Oh Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. As quickly as a person awakes from a dream, these people who seem to be living the good life in rebellion to God, in a moment, eternal destruction jumps on them. And yet, as Christians, we can look at them and begin to envy them and begin to consider walking away from Christ and carrying the cross. And yet, how foolish. How do you get out? How do you get out of that? You walk into the sanctuary of God. Does that mean you walk into this building? Not necessarily. What it means is, is you begin to see who God is. And when you see who God is, you come to your senses. You remember that God sees everything. That God is everywhere. That God never loses note. That God only does good. He never does wrong. And then look at how this psalmist starts preaching to themselves once they see God. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in the heart, when I was brutish and ignorant, I was like a beast towards you. You and I can be like this. Nevertheless, I love it. Nevertheless, 
even when the psalmist was being stupid in the way he was thinking, here was reality. He says, Nevertheless, I am continually with you, and you hold my right hand. He about slipped. He about fell. But even when he was being stupid, the psalmist recognizes God never left me. He was with me, preserving me. When my soul was embittered, I was pricked to the heart. Uh, I was like a beast towards you. Nevertheless, I'm continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. That's his word. And afterward, you'll receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? There is nothing on earth I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. Put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. And I have made the Lord my refuge that I may tell of your works. This psalmist says, God is my hope. I make God my refuge so that I may tell of your works. The Judaizers came in and said, the law is my refuge. And so I'm going to make, I'm going to put on display my works. See the difference? God has called you and I to live lives, recognizing we're weak and that we have no hope apart by living by faith in God. That's what Paul is trying to get across. Letting them remember what the result of of not considering the judgment that's coming on these Judaizers. The Galatians needed to remember Psalms like Psalm 3. If you have your Bibles, turn to this one as well. It says one of the neatest verses in it towards the end. Psalm 3, starting verse 1. Put yourself in the, in the Galatian shoes and imagine how you could live off a psalm like this. O Lord, many are my foes. Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. This is what's happening to the Judaizers, or to the Galatians. The Judaizers are saying, there's no salvation in Christ alone, in grace alone. But you, O Lord, are a shield to me in my glory and the lifter of my head. When I cried aloud to the Lord and he answered, he, or, I cried aloud to the Lord, and He answered me from His holy hill. What's that mean? That means from Jerusalem. That's the fulfillment of prophecy. How does God comfort us from His holy hill from Jerusalem when Jesus Christ died on that holy hill? That's where we get our comfort. I laid down and slept. And I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. Here's what the psalmist realizes. When I go to sleep, I have zero control of my life. The psalmist is recognizing, I go to sleep at night, 
And if I wake up in the morning alive, it is only by the grace of God. Because we do not have that control. I don't care who you think you are, how strong you think you are, how much authority you think you might have, you go to sleep and God doesn't. And you need Him to wake the next morning. And so He says, I lay down and slept. I woke again for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid. I love this verse. Of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. When this psalmist, this is David, when David is thinking clearly, he says, thousands can gather around me and they can all be my enemies and I don't fear. I'm not afraid because he's seeing God clearly by faith. And then he says, arise, O Lord, Save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing will be on your people. Paul knew this psalm. He knew that judgment was coming on these Judaizers. And he told Peter, you don't have to change how you eat when they show up. You don't have to be afraid of that. God is our God. And then Hebrews 13, verse 6. You see, the equal opposite of considering the judgment of God's opponents and our opponents is considering the examples of faith that we have. We get both in the Scripture. Here's the equal opposite. So Hebrews 13, 6. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The writer of Hebrews knew that man can't do anything to him apart from God allowing it. And God's only going to allow good to happen to us, even if that good is suffering and hard. What can man do to me? And then he says, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God, consider the outcome of their way of life, imitate their faith. So rather than just look at judgments coming to false teachers, look at those who preach God's word to you and who walked it by faith. Consider the outcome of their way of life. For them, they suffered, then glory came. Anyone who followed Christ, suffering comes first, then comes glory. This is is just the phase you're in right now. You're in, carry your cross. It doesn't mean there's no blessing now. No, there's blessing. The Holy Spirit's inside us. We we, we have fellowship with God through His Word and, and the Spirit. But suffering comes first, then comes glory. Consider those who have taught you. Consider their faith. And then verse 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Here's what he's saying. He's, what, what he's just said is, consider the outcome of, of their way of life and their faith. He says, Jesus Christ never changes. 
Galatians need to, the, the Galatian church needs to know this. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings. See that? Paul came, preached the pure gospel to the Galatians. Jesus Christ doesn't change. Don't be led astray to strange teachings. For it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. <laughs> Isn't it so amazing? Don't go on with these strange teachings. You know what that means? Every strange teaching out there that the writer of Hebrews has in mind is changing the grace of God into the law. This is what basically every cult does. Bring in strange teaching. They add law to it. You're not saved by grace alone in Jesus Christ. You have to do their new traditions they make up or their new doctrine that they twist I'll read it again. Do not be led astray by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. Think about it. If you came in here today with a lustful heart, that's what you've been struggling with. It doesn't matter what kind of dinner I assign to you. It's not going to help you. You could eat, you could not eat pork, you could not eat meat, you could not eat any man's law you want to throw in there. It's not going to change your heart. You want to know what's good for the heart? The grace of God and Jesus Christ. That's what changes us. Living by faith in God's grace for us. Looking ahead to all the promises. That's how we navigate all the suffering. That's how Jesus went to the cross is he was looking at the joy set before him and then he endured the cross. It is good to be weak. It is good to be strengthened by grace because then the Lord is my helper. The most powerful person in the world is the one who has the least amount of hope in and of themselves, but looks by faith to God. That's how you live your life on this earth. That's how you persevere as you look at the gospel of Christ, you look forward, and you walk by faith. Man, I am having a problem the last few weeks. <laughs> I keep getting half sermons preached. We're going to do verse 11 here in, in, in just a couple minutes. So, Point two in your notes, have confidence in God and do not seek to rid the gospel of its offense. Look at verse 11. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, in a sense you say not the cross, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. Here's what, Evidently, there's been people claiming that Paul is inconsistent. Probably because in Acts 16.3, he has Timothy circumcised, but he doesn't have him circumcised for salvation reasons, but for cultural reasons, because his father was a Greek and his mom was a Jew. It was a cultural ministry issue, not a salvation issue. For Paul, it's not about circumcision or uncircumcision. 
It's not about either of them. He's he has Timothy circumcised. If someone says you need to be circumcised to be saved, he says never. The only way you're saved is by grace. And so people were saying about Paul that he preached circumcision. And Paul's argument is this, then why am I being persecuted everywhere I go? If I preach circumcision, they'd lift me up on their shoulders and say, hurrah, hurrah, because this is the popular thing for man to tell them you can do it. Do not get rid of the offense of the cross. You and I can do this. Rather than take up our cross and live like Christians, we know how to be chameleons and live our lives in this world that's rebelling against God and receive no suffering or persecution. Let's just all admit, we can do this. This is what Peter did. Judaizers show up, he quits eating with the Greeks. Paul had to come and say, you know, not walking in step with the Gospel. If you get rid of the cross, you get rid of the gospel. Jesus said, unless you take up your cross, you cannot be my disciple. So, stay with the grace of God, endure the suffering, whatever comes, because you're seeing grace so clearly. And if you're ever wondering how God really feels about those who uh, distort the grace of God, read verse 12. The Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, wrote these words. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. Thus says the Lord. How does God feel about those when He sends His Son in love to die for them, to die for sinners, and then someone comes along and says, It didn't work. The grace wasn't good enough. You have to do it on your own. Read verse 12 and you can know how God feels about those who distort the grace of God. So let's be people who never walk away from God's grace and never add law to the Gospel. Never add Jesus plus works equals salvation. No, Jesus equals salvation and the fruit of that salvation is works. It's never the grounds. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. Father, thank You for Christ. None of us would have any hope without Him. Lord, I pray if there's anyone who walked in here burdened, wondering if Christ could save even them, Lord, that they would hear the good news that Jesus Christ came to save sinners. Father, we're all candidates of salvation here. None of us have anything to offer that would cause You to save us. So Lord, we look by faith to Christ for our righteousness. Thank You, thank You, thank You that we can have a relationship with You restored in Christ. Father, I pray that You would help us keep the faith even in the midst of suffering. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.